From the great state of Ohio, my name is Morgan Shaw, and today is Tuesday, June 5th, and this is the Next Gen Ohio Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to the this week's episode of the Next Gen Ohio Podcast. I want to thank everybody for listening in. We are back to our regularly scheduled interviews with young leaders from across the state. Last week, we took a essentially a one-week break, and we merged the two weeks into one. That way, we could have a, a full episode specifically devoted to gun reform and the movement that has been uh, led by students, particularly from Parkland and from across our own state, and to highlight some of those people who are doing great work on that issue. And now we're going to be going back to some of those interviews that we've been doing previously of interviewing young elected leaders and young candidates and activists from across the state. Today we have City Councilman Eric Harmon from Eurexville, Ohio. Uh, Eric is the youngest city councilman in the state of Ohio. He is only 19 years old, and he is an absolute leader from his area. Eurexville is in uh, eastern Ohio. Uh, it's in the Appalachia section, so you can imagine that the, our conversation is a bit more based in some of those rural issues that we haven't been able to necessarily touch with a lot of our candidates and activists being located in those three big C's of Ohio, Cincinnati, Columbus, and Cleveland. And some of the points that we hit on are the importance of the Medicaid expansion, uh, economic difficulties within that state, within that part of our state, and some of the things that he's been working on as a city councilman regards to bipartisanship and working across the aisle. And one of the things that we did touch is we talked briefly about gun control, and I promised on the last week's episode that that would be a critical point in all future conversations going forward with Ohio's up-and-coming leaders. And this week is no different. Now, I want to make the point that he, Eric, is not as liberal or progressive as I believe that I am on this issue, or I believe that where the Democratic Party should be on this issue. Now, I did not criticize him, did not make any points saying that he should be more liberal or he should be uh, tougher on a stance that you need to be gung-ho about uh, the the need for assault weapons bans and things like that. And I can understand that there would be people who would think that my criticisms of uh, Richard Cordray and some of his positions on that uh, would be hypocritical that I would criticize one but not the other. Well, I think that Cordray is running in a statewide race that has been won in the past by candidates like Barack Obama who had a strong gun control position that you can run statewide and have that position and still win. I think that that is something that should be brought up repeatedly that you can win with the positions of a strong liberal on gun control and that you can support assault weapons bans and things like that if you're running statewide. Now, Eric is from a very rural part of the state and the culture is different there, and I can absolutely I commend him for being not simply just a, a, a blue dog Democrat in that he only would in that he is only a Democrat on certain issues, and then on other things he can side with Republicans and the NRA on specific issues. He is the kind of rural Democrat that we need on this conversation. That way, they can relate more to the culture of guns. And bringing them in. So I just want to make that clarification before we go into the podcast. 
And I want to thank Eric again so much for, for being on the show. He reached out to me, and it always means so much for anybody that wants to be on the show. So, uh, and now I bring you our interview with Eric Harmon. And on this week's episode of the Next Gen Ohio podcast, we have Eric Harmon of Ericsville, Ohio. Eric, thank you so much for being on the podcast this week. Oh yeah, no problem, Morgan. I'm uh, I'm excited to be here. And by the way, it's pronounced Ericsville. I know it's spelled kind of weird and everything, and we have some problems with people pronouncing it, but it is Ericsville. <laughs> awesome, Ericsville, Ohio. It is. All right. So let's let's go briefly through your your backstory and kind of your your family where you grew up, and how that has molded you into uh, being a public servant today. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, it all dates back to, uh, to Union Hospital in New Philadelphia, Ohio. I was born and raised in, in Eurexville. I've lived here all my life. And m my dad has been a 30-year truck driver for UPS in New Philadelphia, a uh, proud teamster. And my mom is actually a former educator. Uh, she was an elementary teacher in uh, our local public school, Claymont. And then you went through high school, and mm -hmm. you're you're a senior in high school, and you're looking around, and you're you're going off to Kent State this year. You just finished your first year there, and I'm I'm trying to figure out what was the catalyst or what was the reason why you decided to say I'm going to go. I'm going to be a city councilman. I'm going to run for city council at the age of 19 when most people are just considering uh, I'm trying to open my first bank account. I'm trying to get things started. Uh, right. What made you, mm -hmm. is there any kind of specific thing that got you started into this track of being uh, an elected official from <laughs> a part of the state that necessarily doesn't produce a lot of Democratic leaders? I, I go back to, I was probably in fourth or fifth grade when President Obama was just becoming uh, relevant, uh, had just been elected to the White House. And I remember, you know, when I was younger, my, da my dad is, you know, a huge union guy, um, big teamster, a very proud one. And I remember watching a Barack Obama speech with my dad. And I remember President Obama saying the phrase, it's all about you. And that really had, you know, just a pull on me. And it made me think, you know, it's about, you know, you. It really is. It's not about the special interests. It's about um, a, a leader who represents his people and leads them. Um, it's a leader that that makes working families stronger, not lobbyists, not Wall Street, not oil companies, and not not the uh, pharmaceutical industry. It's a leader that that, that makes working families stronger. And that's a big part of uh, of my community where I come from, is just majority working and the the, the working class in, in the working poor, and uh, that's the people that I represent and the people that I work for, and you know it started then and that kind of sparked my interest in politics, but then I went away to Buckeye Boys State my junior year. And there I really kind of learned about policy and politics. And since then, you know, I came back home after that experience, a, a week-long experience, and it really shaped my perspective on things. And after that, it made me realize that, you know, after high school, I wanted to stay here locally, go to our local uh, Kent State University at Tuscarawas, 
And, uh, you know, I, I got word that there was an open council seat and someone told me I should run. And uh, I said, so be it. Let's do it. Uh, that's, well, the, the, the guts to, to do that in the first place are, are commendable. Uh-huh. But especially when you're trying to replace someone who you replaced Linda Davis on your city council. Uh-huh. And right. she was on the council for longer than either of you have been, either you or I have been alive. Right. So mm-hmm. how do you, how do you step into that role? Um, you ran uncontested, you won. And how mm-hmm. do you step into that role knowing that the majority of the council members are going to be far older than you? You're replacing somebody who's been on it for a long time. And how do you get them to, uh, per se, even just re- simply respect that uh, your opinion on the council is worthwhile, that you should be, that they, uh, that they should be looking to you for uh, new ideas and new leadership and a new perspective that can help uh, your town grow? Well, that has been a challenge in itself, but, you know, it all boils down to the issues and the challenges that my community face. You know, we all know that we all have a common goal, that we have to get things done. You know, we need to provide local services that uh, that are quality services for our people. We need to keep our streets in good condition, our, our sewers in good in good condition. And we have to, you know, expand our police and fire forces. And that's been one thing, you know, stepping into this new role has been hard working with people that, you know, are obviously older than me. But I'll give them credit. We all kind of understand what the common goal is. And what is the makeup of your city council? Is it is it mostly Democrats or is it mostly is it half and half Republicans? Is it easy to work with them on policy ideas like that? It's actually um, three Democrats, three Republicans, and we have one independent. So it is very um, kind of tense at times, I guess. And uh, working on policy, though, hasn't been that bad. And I mean, regardless at the local level, it really doesn't matter, you know, about what party it is, unless it comes down to an issue that is more ideology, uh, um, more ideology. But uh, like I said, you know, there is a common goal and our council members, our mayor and the administration, we all understand we have to get things done to benefit our people. Has that made you look at bipartisanship or that, that spirit of having to work together in politics in a different way in that you have, you know, unlike a, the state house where you currently have uh, a super majority for Republicans where they can pass anything they want, they don't need to really need to worry about Democrats and their, their input on issues. Has that made you think that uh, it is far better to have any kind of a more equal balance in government? Oh, absolutely. I think that too. And actually, you know, it, it really has changed my thinking because when I first started, you know, I didn't really see it that much that way. But once I, I got on board and started working, you know, across the aisle with my own party, it did make me realize, you know, how important that really is to get the people's work done. In your in your race and some of the things that you said that you were going to prioritize as a city councilman is that you wanted mm-hmm. to bring business investment into your town. Your town's uh, about 5,000 people. It's not one of uh, the industrial hubs or one of the big three uh-huh. C's of the, of the state, whether it's Cincinnati, Columbus, or Cleveland. And how what would what pitch would you make to business owners and startups and things saying that uh, this part of the state is, some, is somewhere you do want to invest in? Well, Morgan, you're exactly right about that. 
you know, we face many challenges in, in rural Appalachia, Ohio. You know, we're, we're at a disadvantage compared to a Columbus, a Cleveland, or a Cincinnati. And the, the disadvantages are met, or, or many. And we're at disadvantages where, when it comes to healthcare. Um, for example, being able to recruit doctors in hospitals like Cleveland Clinic, being able to afford health care, which is very difficult for low-wage earners. And then, I mean, obviously, another disadvantage would be access to decent education from Head Start to college. You know, there are those disadvantages. There's disadvantages in transportation. We don't have public transportation, so gas prices really affect my area in rural Ohio because, you know, we have to drive further than anyone else to get to school or to work or, you know, access to um, jobs, really. We, like you said, we don't we really aren't the industrial industrial part of Ohio. And uh, when a manufacturing facility in a local town or a steel mill or a coal mine closes down and it leaves and takes, you know, 300 jobs with it. That's felt very hard here, and it's very harsh on the people. It affects, you know, all of us in, in you know, people's families and their lives. And, you know, it, it affects the city's ability to administer city services and provide a good service for people. And ultimately, you know, it, it's it's a very big challenge in itself. And here in rural Ohio, uh, another th another challenge we face would be um, the broadband issue. It's not a luxury here in rural Ohio. It's a necessity. And what we have to do is not just recruit businesses to come here. What we have to do is build our own businesses up from the ground and then just build on our successes in a community and then attract employers. Do you see, or as a lot of southeastern Ohio communities have found out that or this was a central issue within the gubernatorial race as well, is that fracking and recruiting oil companies like that to come out and say that this is an oil-rich part of the state and we can provide some economic development and sustainability for these areas that have been hit by our, our quote-unquote rust-built part of the country with losing all those different manufacturing and industrialized jobs that were usually there and that were the centerpiece of a, a town's economy. Do you see fracking and issues like that as being uh, something that is a solution, or do you think it, that the risks of it are too large to participate in that? Well, I think oil and gas has done a lot of good for my area, and I, I've always felt that that'd be an issue that uh, I could work across the aisle on with uh, the opposite party. But I've been disappointed in in the leadership in the the. Uh, the opposite party at the state house and in the governor's mansion, because what they've done is taken all that oil and got, uh, gas money, and instead of giving it to local local communities, they've given it to the state, and they've provided this huge surplus that they're not willing to spend on local communities, and, and it's really hurt us. You recently uh, passed uh, a resolution on the city council saying unanimous resolution saying that you would like the state government to return funding levels for all local communities and local councils to 2005 levels. Can you explain why that is so critical? And can you explain some of the budget cuts that have occurred since that time? 
Oh yeah, absolutely. What happened was right around when the the uh, Kasich administration came in, they cut taxes for for the uber wealthy, and it pretty much blew a hole in the budget in the state budget. And to make up for it, they took away oil and gas money from local communities. They take a, and they took away the local government funding. And it really has hurt us. You know, the bill that I'm supporting and uh, the city of Yerkesville supporting, House Bill 538, restores local government funding to the 2005 levels, which, you know, I know for the city personally, we were getting about 350000 from the state, which is vital for, you know, police services, fire services, very just a vital fund for those types of services. And then they cut it to where we're now getting about ninety five thousand to a hundred thousand and it's been rough. you know we can only employ a certain amount of police officers on duty despite the opioid crisis at a time when we really need those services to help our people and to protect them um It's just been a, a total drag for us, and any any kind of leadership that we can get at the state level to restore the uh, local government funding and to bring the oil and gas money back would be very beneficial for us. Do you see the best way to do that as shifting dollars and monies around, i.e. using the what Kate calls the rainy day fund uh, to just simply replenish those th- those coffers within the different local communities and things and to restore some of those funding levels? Or do you think that it's yes, best? It, yeah. Well, absolutely. I mean, not only that, but, you know, I I was really disappointed in in the tax cuts for the wealthy. And, you know, really the middle class and the working working families have really taken the hit because of that. But, you know, to to fix that, I I know there are some leaders in the state house in the Democratic caucus that have worked to restore the local government funding. There's been gubernatorial candidates that said, and pledged that they would do the same, and we're really looking for that right now. So we really need it. I, I want to get on to you've only you haven't been in office even a year yet. You haven't even finished mm-hmm. half. Uh, you just started your six month in office, and I'd like to go. Do you have any major accomplishments that you think are have provided an immediate impact in those six months to your constituents? So far, uh, I've worked a lot with the local government funding. And really, uh, I've worked with the budget in Yorksville that has given more money to our police officers and our fire department so they can get higher wages and they can get the resources that they need and deserve. That's been probably been one of my biggest um, issues that I've worked on, in addition to providing more funding for our park department. And here in a few weeks, we're actually putting in a new basketball court in our park um, downtown. So I'm also looking forward to that. Those two issues have really been my major focuses so far. On a a different track, on a different side of this is the Mm -hmm. fact that you are, you're young and that means that you're, you're a student. You just finished your first year at at Kent state. You're studying social studies. Mm -hmm. Uh, What do you, do you plan on being an educator after this? Do you plan on continuing down that track or uh, how do you, and also, how do you simply balance your time between school and this, I'm um, presuming, time-consuming job? Well, 
it has to be a healthy balance of both, and it has been so far. People that work in public service and have different things going on outside that, it, it is a very busy work schedule and everything, but uh, I've done well so far in it, and uh, I'm looking forward to going back to school in the fall and just continuing my efforts on council as well. But, you know, like I said, it just has to be a healthy balance. And uh, uh, so far, I, I've done very well with it. And I'll, I'll ask you if you have, uh, uh, I don't know if you've hinted at this or you've said anywhere else, if you believe, I know you're just getting started, but do you see yourself as having a future career in politics? Or do you believe that this is, uh, this is the, the top of the line that you'll, uh, you'll achieve in your political career? Well, uh, <laughs> to be on, I know you got to ask that question, but to be honest with you, um, I'm very comfortable where I'm at right now. But you know, if if opportunity knocks, we'll see. But for now, I'm just focused on doing what's best for my community and the working families in rural Ohio. So we shouldn't rule out a Harmon 2020 campaign. Is that's what I'm trying to get at there? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I doubt that. But all right, yeah, all right. Let's uh, on last week's podcast. I it was devoted to highlighting some of the gun reform issues and things that have uh, arisen as a result of both the Parkland shooting, the Santa Fe shooting, and then the, all of the activism that has come from students across the nation. You attended a March for Our Lives. Uh, I'd like to know, even though that uh, you are a local legislator and you're there is no home rule for gun control in the state of Ohio. Uh, you cannot have passed anything in particular for your town. Uh, I just want to know what you think should be the Democratic priorities and what are your priorities on that issue? Well, I, I come from an area that where, you know, guns, it, it's a very different culture here. And um, the majority of people I do know are very responsible gun owners. And they understand that there is a bipartisan way to fix this issue. And, you know, whether it be expanding background checks or um, closing gun hold, the, the gun show loopholes, you know, there has to be a bipartisan way to, to fix and to fix the issue and to get students the safety they need. Actually, there is a project I'm kind of working on at the local level right now, you know, with all of these shootings going on in the country. Our schools are very um, alert about it, and our, our local school has come to us, and right now we're working out an agreement to provide a resource officer for our school. Do you see that track of making schools more secure and safe in regards to providing more officers and more metal detectors and that kind of route, um, which has been proposed by mainly the Texas governor after that shooting, do you think that that is the more likely quote unquote bipartisan solution to the problem and that that will lead to less school shootings and less gun deaths and things? Or do you believe that that you have to have some level of magazine control or banning assault weapons? Do you think it's do you have to go that route as well? Or can you simply do the school protection? You know, I, I say, you know, you can do both, really. But in my opinion, the, the school protection, you know, I, I'm not for putting guns in the hands of teachers. That would be in my opinion, a terrible idea and terrible policy for the state of Ohio. Teachers are stressed out enough. But, you know, giving money to local communities and funding our public schools and our local governments 
can provide more Reese officers that we can put in our schools to protect our children and our educators. So I, I think that has got to be the way forward. Do you think that this should be in any way a huge or a, even a large part of a, a Democrat's campaign platform? Do you think that this, as a result of this movement and then this year going into the midterms, that we should be hearing from all candidates about this issue, uh, along with the taxes and the health care, which is already a part of that? Do you think that that should be uh, our top three issues going into 2018 or do, going into these midterms? Or do you believe that there's something else in particular that we should be prioritizing? That's a very good question. I'd say for me, in rural Ohio around here, you know, like I said, you know, the feelings on gun issues are very different here, and it's very personal. The majority of people here are responsible gun owners. However, the the top three issues for us is really just the, the kitchen table issues, and that's, you know, income and wealth inequality, probably, you know, strong unions, and probably access to quality health care have got to be our, you know, the rural Ohio three issues, in my opinion. In regards to the governor's race, once we get to the fall, if mm-hmm. there is a Mike DeWine is the the winner out of that race, and he says that I'm going to repeal the Medicaid expansion, how do you think that that will impact your part of the state? And what do you think there is any way we could do to stop him if that horrible situation did occur? It would throw – Medicaid expansion has done a lot of good for the people of rural Ohio and Appalachia. But, you know, if Mike DeWine gets in the governor's mansion and he takes away, you know, health care access to, to thousands and hundreds of Ohioans, you know, they are going to know who took it away. They might, you know, I agree with, you know, Senator Joe Manchin. They might not know who gave them that health care, but they are going to know who took it away from them. Exactly. No, I couldn't agree more. And uh, I'm going I'm to wrap up our, our conversation as I do with all of our interviewees is that uh, I always ask if you could speak to all of the young people from across the state of Ohio, uh, what would you say to them about being involved in politics, running for office, and how they should be just simply more involved moving forward after this this movement that's mainly been student-led in regards to gun control? I would tell young people that democracy, it's not a spectator sport. And if you're waiting for someone to step up, and do something for you, then it's not going to happen. You you can't wait on that. You've got to get your hands in, and, and you've got to dig deep, and you've got to find your passion, get involved, and um, you've really got to go from there and step up. You know, if you're waiting for someone to do it, it's not going to happen. You've got to do it yourself. Eric, I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast this week. It means a lot, and best of luck to you uh, as a city councilman moving forward. All right, Morgan, I appreciate it. Uh, I'm a big fan of the show. I'll, I'll keep on listening. All right, everyone, that's all we have for this week. I want to again thank Eric for being on the show, and I look forward to talking with you all next week.